0: Let me pray for us father god we ask this morning that you would bless us with eyes to see your word ears to hear it clearly that we father god would be directed uh, by what your word teaches us may our whole life be directed by what your word teaches us in thoughts in words and in deeds and we ask your blessing upon us now in jesus name amen so If I can just sort of set the background of where we have been, and I know that I keep doing this, but it's pretty important to remember um, everything that we have taken into consideration, is right from the very beginning, we have been considering the two aspects of desire and direction. And therefore, as we grow as a family, as we grow with children growing up in our home, We always got to ask the question, where do desires come from? And not many people know where desires come from. And so last week, we had probably one of the most intense looks at how desires are formed and what happens uh, when we are exposed to certain things and we begin to imitate those things and we're taken away by them. And so the Tenth Commandment, uh, thou shalt not covet, is, is not... Uh, a commandment strictly against coveting what your neighbor has. In other words, if I can put it in a slightly different way, if your neighbor has something that you want, let's say a very nice car or a very nice house or a very nice swimming pool or whatever it may be, perhaps a very nice a number of clothes, or whatever it may be, we tend to read the 10th commandment as though it is prohibiting us from wanting our neighbor's goods. But when you read through the 10th commandment in light of the Proverbs and wisdom into the New Testament, and then you get to Jesus, what you're actually being prohibited from is desiring your neighbor's desires. Because his desires leads to his wants. And the reason that is the case is because when we get to Christ, following Christ means that we desire the desires of Jesus. We desire the desires of Jesus. That's what it means to truly follow. And so there's a surface level of the 10th commandment of, of not desiring goods, but, but underneath that level, how did your neighbor acquire them in the first place? Well, because he desired them, right? And so well, how did he desire them? Well, if he desired them from someone else and he desired them from someone else, you have this perpetual uh, movement throughout history of everybody becoming like everyone else because everyone's desiring what everybody else wants instead of becoming like God. So the commandment is against desiring what your neighbor desires and therefore desire what God desires. Do do you understand that? So that you can be shaped um, by what God desires uh, and God's desires are far greater uh, than any man's desires. Well, this morning we are using all the background knowledge that we have had, and we're going to look at the question of direction. Now, for some of you, your children are perhaps getting close to the stage where they are going to have to think about what they're going to be doing in the future, at least if they're only thinking about it. And there are three things that come into consideration when you think about the future, and that is desire, ability, and opportunity. So this would even apply to those of you who are in college, those of you who are wondering what you're going to do. So I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but if I was Quinn to put somebody on the spot, because um, it's always you, or Maxwell sitting next to you, and I asked you, what are you going to do when you leave college, okay? How are you going to arrive? I'm not expecting you to tell me right now. But how are you going to arrive at the correct answer? And what I want to say here is that there is a correct answer. Okay. The trouble is, is that often we try all the wrong things before we actually find the very thing that God has for us. And this is what I want to address this morning: how to avoid, how to avoid doing things that we may like, doing things that we may enjoy and actually find out what God wants for us. Now, it could be multiple things that God has for us. I don't know what they are. But what I am going to say is that I hold... This is going to show my true colours now. I hold to Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan Jonathan Edwards from America, um, has written, obviously, a great amount of work. But his understanding of providence is probably... I'm much closer to his understanding of providence than I am, perhaps... Someone like, I um, <clears throat> other theologians, I'm trying to think who would be similar. Maybe A.A. Hodge, I'm probably close to him as well, another um, American theologian. Um, so we, we'll, I'll s- explain what that looks like in a minute, because you're going to think, well, hang on a minute, Daniel, what about this, what about that? So in order to qualify myself, I'm going to give you uh, one verse, not from the Proverbs, but this is from Jeremiah. And this is Jeremiah speaking, and he says this, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not his own, nor is it given to man to direct his own steps. I hold to that without any sense of embarrassment or any sense of qualification. I'm not going to say, here, yeah, but, he, let's qualify that. No, I'm just going to hold to it what it says. So let me read it again. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not his own, nor is it given to man to direct his debts. Now, the first half of that verse, you could say, okay, well, that makes sense, that if we're understanding desire, a person can be directed, uh, and therefore that way is not his own. It could be the way of another person. But that's not what Jeremiah says alone. He goes further and he says, um, "Nor is it given man, given to man to direct his own steps." And uh, what does that mean going forward? Well, this is how I want us to look at it this morning. So if we can turn to Proverbs, 20, 20, uh, Proverbs 16 uh, verse nine <clears throat> And to any of the younger people, we didn't do, we didn't actually know. Close your Bibles. Let's, we're gonna, I'm going to do the sword drill. I should have done this uh, last week. Sword drill, right? This is my sword. <coughs> sword I'm going to give you a different Bible verse as well. I'm not going to give you the same one. Sword and sheath. Swords drawn. Proverbs 20, verse 24. Charge. Stand up when you have it and read it out to everyone. Oh, wow, that was quick. Oh, there's two. Can you, can you read, um, please, for me, Proverbs 16, verse 9 in a minute? And can you read for me um, Proverbs 20, verse 24 now, please? Excellent, thank you heart of plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Okay, excellent. Well done. Thank you, both of you. So let me just read uh, both of them uh, again, just in the context of where we're going to be going. So Proverbs 16, verse 9 uh, says, the heart of a man plans his way. Not the mind of a man, um, because a man is shaped not only by what fills his mind but by what fills his heart. And the seat of all motivations come from the heart, what fills the heart, not just what fills the mind. Hence why men and women can live contradictory lives where the mind is conflicting with the heart, the heart is conflicting with the mind. Okay, so the heart of the man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Again, this is reflects. In the same thoughts that Jeremiah is saying that it's not given to, to man to direct his own steps, but every step is ordered. Proverbs 24, let's just look at that again before we go any further. And Proverbs, uh, sorry, 20, verse 24, says, "And a man's steps are from the Lord." how then can he understand his way? So that's somewhat of a rhetorical question. So we've got three, three biblical verses, and I can give you more, that state quite clearly um, that the direction of a man's life is in the hands of the Lord, not only in his own hands. There's personal responsibility. The question then is, is as your children grow up, what things do you have to avoid as parents? Okay, okay so it is not right let me just say this we'll probably end here it is not right for any parent to live vicariously through their children okay um i I have seen um i have seen in both the uk and here in america just how upset um parents get over children when they are playing uh, sport games against another team right you think well you know or when their son doesn't get picked, um, you know, he's, he's, he's on the 2nd <clears throat> lineup. so he doesn't get picked in the first 11. Um, it's soccer, this would be. He doesn't get picked in the first 11, he gets put back. And the parent gets really upset because the parent is, without even realizing it, living vicariously through their child, you know? And so <clears throat> you perhaps have noticed the same type of thing just in observing people, you know, when it comes to exam results or universities or whatever it may be, how many parents live vicariously through their children. And in other words, they take the exam results much harder than perhaps the child does. Or they take them not getting onto the football team much higher than uh, the child does. And so what you begin to realise is that the investment of the parent in the child is actually for their benefit, not just for the child's benefit. And so when we raise boys and girls in the church, we know what they ought to be like, biblically speaking, okay, but we we don't even get to direct their steps. We get to guide within the parameters of wisdom, but we don't get to determine what they do in the future. Does that make sense? And the reason why this is important is because you're gonna have to train them how to interpret when God is working in their life in the way that he is directing them. Because if you're telling them, constantly telling them you ought to do this, you ought to do that, one of the things that begins to happen is that it's not that they just reject your guidance, but more importantly, they are not being taught how to understand the will of God as it relates to them. And so we're understanding it in the context of desire but then also in the context that the Lord directs our steps and then there are two other things so that we can truly understand how we move forward which is ability and opportunity. So here's the first one, how does desire occur? Well there are natural desires which I think God creates us with so that we can function in the world. And then there are destructive desires which come in through imitation. So a natural desire would be that God created us with the ability to feel hunger and with the ability to feel thirsty. And so part of being a created being is that if we're not drinking enough and we begin to feel thirsty, that desire for water is actually gonna benefit us as an individual. It is, it is a God-given desire giving us a warning line that we don't have a warning signal that we don't have enough water in our system does that make sense the same with hunger so god created us with the desire to feel hunger so that when we're and we feel hungry and therefore we go out and eat same principle again but how do desires change when we are fallen when we are not without sin when we are when we're not perfect and so what begins to have as we've seen this in the series so far is that we begin to look for destructive hungers. And things become more complicated when you have become addicted or become uh, have a compulsion. Your life is under compulsion towards a destructive hunger. So things become much harder for a person growing up with destructive hungers. An example would be that if you imagine a, a road and it's got a few turns in it. But as a sober man, you're able to drive that road without any complications whatsoever. There's no difficulty in driving that road. But now imagine it's dark. Does it get a little bit more difficult? Yeah, because it's hard to judge your speed. You're not entirely sure when the next bend is gonna be there. But now imagine the same man drunk. Now all of a sudden, his destructive hunger is now giving him an inability, it's reducing his ability to be able to function on that road. And so what tends to happen is that the man can have a desire to get from A to B, he can have the opportunity to get from A to B, in other words, he's got a car to get there, but his ability has been diminished by a destructive hunger. Does that make sense? So he's intoxicated and then he doesn't get there, he has a car crash because he is controlled by a hunger. Um, uh, led by compulsion. So there is what God created us to be and what happens now that our life is uh, sinful and that we have to deal with sin. And so this is how James explains it in James 1, 14 and, and Jesus in Matthew 5, is that everybody's life is directed by to a greater or lesser extent by their desires, their abilities, and and the opportunities that they have. So I'm under no illusion that there are certain men in, for instance, Afghanistan, uh, that work far harder than I do. But I have way more than they do, right? And that's because, okay, I have, I'm I'm in a place where there's greater opportunity. So we understand how these work, we ought to understand how these work. And what Jesus shows us in Matthew 5, when it comes to, like, temptation and that, and what James shows us with being lured and enticed away by sin, is that the same three things that we can use to determine what God is doing with our life is the same three things that we struggle with in sin. So I'll give you an example. If I have the desire to sin, and I have the ability to sin, and I have the opportunity to sin, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm I'm going to sin, aren't I? Yeah, you can say it out loud. You can tell, you can say, the pastor, you are gonna sin, because I would. And so I have to recognize what Jesus says. So what does Jesus say when he, what did you think Jesus means when he says, if your hand causes you to steal, cut it off, or your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. What do you think he's removing? Not just your eye and your hand, but what do you think he's moving in terms of desire, ability, and opportunity? A few people, but no one, nice and loud? Ability. Ability, right, thank you. Okay, ability. So if I can't see, and this gets back to Psalm 73, do you remember how Asaph in Psalm 73 began to slip and slide away from the Lord. Do you remember how it says, when I saw, okay, he's led away by his own eyes. He looks at his neighbors, he looks at the type of life that they have, and he begins to be led away. And so the ability that he has to see is actually leading him into sin, right, coupled with the fact that he desires their type of life, and he has the opportunity to get it if he leaves his own. Does that make sense? Yeah, because this is really important. So, <clears throat> the way sin works, in order, the, w- the way sin lures you, is that it first exposes you um, to something to give you the desire for something else. Now, this could be. This is why that if you ever see me come into your home and as you're talking to me, I'm just looking at your bookshelves and looking at your DVD collection and stuff like that, you think, oh, he's, he's just looking at our home. I'm not just looking at your home. I'm looking at what's influencing you in your home, okay? So you think he's just innocent. He's gonna sit down and have a cup of tea, but no. <laughs> For years and experience, I have, I have had to learn that actually, you no, know, things influence people. And so as I look at what's on your bookshelf, assuming that you have read those books, And as I look at your DVD collection, assuming that you have watched those films, okay, and if I know about some of those books and I know about some of those films, I can perhaps at least have some background of the influences in your home. Okay, now we begin to understand just how dangerous the internet is if people are just let loose on it and they begin to search anything that they like, because exposure creates desire. Okay, creates these desires. So if you expose yourself to things, suddenly this is how new desires occur. And we we looked at that last week, so I'm not going to address that again this week. Now, on the flip side, the way God uh, will direct your Christian life, all of your lives, so from the very youngest to the very oldest, is that you'll begin to realize um, that God if you desire the desires of Jesus, then God will will join to that, giving you certain abilities. And he'll give you abilities that other people don't have in order to create differences. God creates unity by making everyone different. This is one of the beautiful aspects of the church. And God gives you opportunities. So for instance, if I have the desire to be a missionary What else do I need to have in order to be a missionary? I need the ability and I need the opportunity. And if one of those are missing, if just one of those are missing, do you think that I'm going to be a missionary? No, because if I have the desire and not the ability, someone's gonna spot that and go, you're not ready for the mission field. But if I have the desire and the ability and not the opportunity, I'm never going to get to the mission field, wherever that mission field is. Makes sense? Now, that makes quite clear sense when you talk about um, ministry. But what about if I wanted to become a computer scientist? I have no desire to become a computer scientist. But let's just imagine for a moment that, you know, that the the box in front of me that causes me huge amounts of frustration can actually be used to be productive, okay? And I say that in front of people who know to use computers and laptops well. They're the same thing, I know. But my, my point is, is how does God work in that way? Well, it's exactly the same way that he gave, if you go and read how God gave people the ability to build the tabernacle, They didn't learn that through skill they were given the the ability to then go and build the tabernacle it was it was a form of wisdom of they just knew yeah how did noah know how to build a boat i would imagine that he didn't need one up to that point right so you mean you don't so how did how did he know how to build the boat what how did he know how to make the joints right well god not, not only gave him the wisdom to say this needs to be done, but he must have given him the ability to be able to do it, okay? And the opportunity is being in a place where you can have enough go wood so that the, the boat would actually float, okay? So now we begin to see that the way that you'll understand young people, and those of you who are older as well, What God actually wants you to do, the three things will line up. You have a desire to be something, you have the ability to be that thing, and you have the opportunity to be that type of worker. And when those three things line up, it's normally, generally speaking, a pretty good indication that that is how God is leading you. Now, the thing is, desires change over time. And so we don't always end up doing what we thought. So, for me, for instance, I started work at 15, and <clears throat> all I wanted was to work for myself. I didn't necessarily was concerned about what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in the trades, I knew that. I knew that I wanted to work with my hands I wanted to build things. I wanted to be a boat builder, that was my actual desire. But I left school, and when I started work in 89, um, a recession hit. It was a pretty big recession in the UK, and so no one wanted to take on... Uh, boat Builders Apprentices, because it was a... Anyway, that's another story. But the point is, is that I had the desire just to be my own boss, to work for myself. Um, and while I had that desire, it never happened until I was about 19. So I worked 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 for different people and for different companies, all using trades. And so <clears throat> I did Cornish stonewalling, I did everything from chopping down trees to then eventually moving into going to night school and taking a mason's course, uh, uh, an AutoCAD design course, and then not only started my business, but then decided to go into roofing. And then I trained up under a company and then went out on my, on my own. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm in the church, and David White says to me, How about reading this? How about doing that? And that exposure, to new things then created new desires. And those new desires then thought, well, perhaps I should move in a different direction. But what was the two things that I didn't have? Opportunity and ability. I I had no idea what to do in a church. So ability came through training, and opportunity came through a minister saying, come and you sit under me and we'll do it this way. So I want you to realize that desires, opportunities, and abilities are not stationary. They change throughout your whole life. But you may have a dominant one that, that you can hold on to so that you know how God is directing you. So if you're at home, okay, we'll just go back to a simple illustration. And your mum has just made some wonderful chocolate chip cookies on the table, okay? And your mum has said, you can have one after supper. You can have one after your evening meal, OK? But it's only 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And as you, as you are exposed to those cookies on the table, suddenly you desire those cookies on the table. And you think to yourself, "Mum's downstairs or Mum's upstairs. And you think, do I have the ability to take one of those cookies? Yep. Do I have the opportunity to take one of those cookies? Well, mum's not around, yep, what's going to happen next? Well, you're going to go and take one of those cookies. Okay, so I want you to understand from the very youngest, can you see how that, who, who's ever thought that, ever noticed that, have you ever desired something that you're not allowed quite yet? Anyone? Or as if there's a, oh, it's quite a lot of hands going up, okay. So have any of you ever been in the position where mum has made something or dad has got something, whatever it may be, and you've been told, yes, you can have one, but you can have one later, and you say, why can't I have one now? Has anyone ever said that? Okay. Right. And the the reason being is because the exposure creates the desire. Okay, the exposure creates the desire. Okay? In other words, that why is it that if you get something from the shop that is like something new, you want to wrap it in the car rather than wait until you get home, you know, to, to, to play with it or whatever it may be. Well, can I, can I do it now? Because right? that, it just, the impulse, and this is what we have to guard hearts against, that the desires don't, don't turn into being led by compulsion. Does that make sense? And so let me read these quotes from Calvin, because I think these three quotes from John Calvin are extremely helpful. Here's the first one. Actually, just before I go there, let me just read you the distinctions first in Proverbs concerning who is being spoken to. Now, most of you who have read Proverbs will understand that there are three types of boys in Proverbs. There is the fool there is the simple and there is the son have you ever noticed that as you read through proverbs the fool is the one who anybody know it says there is no god yeah so the foolish boy is the one who says there is no god any the the son or the simple do anybody know what the simple son uh, boy is like and then you have the gone. Excellent. Very good answer, yes. I'll just, I'll just say it so that everyone can hear it, perhaps. So the simple child is the one who's undecided, that he is driven and tossed, tossed around, uh, doesn't know whether he's going to go this way or that way or whatever it may be. And the son is the one who is committed to his father's teaching and his mother's wisdom. You know, listen to your mother, listen to your father, bind the truth around your neck, play, take it into your heart. Okay, and so generally speaking, in the church and in the world, you have three types of people. You have the full, you have the simple, and you have the sons. The full are the ones that are just rejecting God. The simple are the ones who are undecided. And so this is the very thing that as parents, we need to be mindful of as our children grow up in the church. We don't want our children to be simple. We want them to become sons, sons of God, children of God. OK? Because we want them to be able to make those commitments for themselves. And this is important because the desires of each are different. The desire of the full is completely different than the changing desires of the simple. And the changing desires of the simple are completely different than the constant desire of the sun. Because we're going back to this again. So these, this is Calvin's points. Calvin says this that the sum total of the Christian life is self-denial. And I would argue that if you are ever having problems in your home, between any relationship within that home, the one thing that has to take place is what we see in the Philippines, and that is you need to empty yourself of self, because it's self that's causing all the problems. Yeah? So you empty yourself of self. That's the only way uh, to deal with these type of issues. Calvin also says this. First of all, let them neither desire, this he's speaking of a Christian, let them neither desire um, nor hope for nor contemplate any other way of prospering than by the Lord's blessing. So you want to get ahead in life? The temptation okay, to use the worldly triad, is to either be first, be smarter, or to steal, or to cheat. Now, there's nothing wrong with being first, okay? (laughs) There's absolutely nothing wrong with being first, as long as it is with the Lord's blessing. There's nothing wrong with being smarter because the Lord gives abilities. There's everything wrong with cheating, of course. But Calvin points out that the, the temptation to get ahead uh, because you're not satisfied with the Lord's blessing is the very temptation that leads you away from God. So the, the one, any form of prospering that we have, we should hope and pray that it always comes via the Lord's blessing. Because God could give you great wisdom, and it would be a terrible shame if you use that gift that God has given you in ways that profit yourself rather than the community of God's people. Make sense? we shouldn't we shouldn't we shouldn't do that and i say this in the context that i I don't know what it's like over here but there are a number of men who are no longer in the ministry in the uk that actually give motivational talks to businesses that's that's what they do now and i think you know because the gifts of god are irrevocable so god has given them the gift Uh, And God won't take those gifts back because the gifts of God are irrevocable. Uh, But now they're using it in a completely ungodly way. And that's not to say that motivating businesses is wrong, but God gave them the gift to serve the church first and foremost, and now they're just serving themselves. Do you see see how I mean? So that's the background to which Calvin is speaking into. This is another thing that he says. And this is really important if you're finding things difficult. And he says, God's blessing finds a way through all hindrances to bring things to a happy and favorable outcome for us. In other words, if you trust God and you are led and you measure your desires, abilities and opportunities and make sure they're in line with God's word, then whatever difficulty you face, God's blessing is able to overcome that. And you have to remember that, that you in your own strength cannot overcome the obstacles you face. You can only overcome them in the uh, blessing that the Lord gives. You really must believe that, or else you'll begin trying other things. Let's try this, let's try that. And suddenly you're exposed to different things, your desires change, and then your abilities are used elsewhere. Here's the third thing. He says, we should not believe that we will be helped by God to obtain those things which we desire contrary to God's word. So God will never answer the prayer uh, that you pray to him if it is contrary to what he has already stated clearly in his word and by all the implications as well. And so I go back to my... um, my original um point, which is that Jeremiah's point I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not his own, nor is it given to man to direct his own steps. Okay. God is directing us all the time. And so when we look at James as we have done, and we look at testing, is it possible that we can fail the same test over and over and over again? and then become in a certain kind of way stagnant in the Christian life? The answer is absolutely. And so one of the reasons why our Christian life doesn't move forward or we we don't make the progress or don't necessarily receive the blessing that we think we ought to have is because it's not a works righteousness here. This is not what we're talking about, but there is a correlation between um, covenantal obligations and blessings that doing things in the Lord's way will not lack the Lord's blessing. But if you don't do things in the Lord's way, you don't expect the Lord's blessing. So there is a sense in which this is, this is uh, conditionals within the covenant agreement, but this has nothing to do with your salvation. You're saved. This is more to do with the, the, the functioning daily life of your Christian life. Does that make sense? So I want you to understand his parents, that you may have great desires for your children, great desires. Uh, But the thing is, is that God also has desires for your children. And God will give your children certain abilities. And the youngest, all the children, you can look at me this minute. I want you to know that whatever God makes you to be in the future is exactly what you were made for. Okay, now that you could be good at a hundred things, but I want you to always understand that if you trust God, okay, and you follow God and do it God's way, two things will happen that will really help you. Number one, you will never, or when I say never, you will less likely to become jealous of another person because you'll realize that what God has given them is to do one thing and what God has given you is to do something else. And so when you understand that your desires and your abilities and your opportunities come from God, suddenly you won't think that another person is better than you. You will say they're different, but they won't be better. And this, as parents, these are the type of things you need to drill down into your children all the time. Let them know who, or. Allow them to, with wisdom, to get to know who they are in the light of God's word, who God is making them to be, okay? Because <clears throat> we do not want to shape our children contrary to the way the Lord is shaping our children and then run up against obstacles and that. There are certain things that, that, um, <clears throat> that I think that some parents may not ever want their children to do. Like, for instance, become a missionary in a very dangerous country. You can imagine all those type of fears and everything that goes with that. But if that is what God has called your child to be, then that is what it will be because the Lord directs the steps. So I want you to understand that we have covered a lot about desire and all of that comes into play here. So the way you will be led into sin and commit sin is first by desiring it Secondly, by having the ability to commit it. And thirdly, by having the opportunity to commit it. That's how you will sin. And the way that you will be able to walk in God's will is first by having the desire, secondly, by having the ability, and thirdly, by having the opportunity. That's, it's that. It sounds really simple, but it's, it's harder than you think in one sense, but it's also easier than you think in another sense. To understand, can it really be that simple? Yes. Why do I find it so difficult then? You find it difficult because of everything that we've said up to this point about changing desires. Okay, the exposure and how our desires change. So we are not, as I said last week, we are not to desire the desires of our neighbor, uh, the 10th commandment. Rather, we are to desire the desires of Christ. We are to desire what Christ desires. And therefore, while our walk won't be identical, it'll be in the same direction always. Now, before I pray, does anyone have any comments or questions before I pray for us? Okay. Oh, great. Okay, let me pray for you. Father God, I would ask for the very youngest here to the very oldest that you would... <clears throat> Give them eyes and hears, ear, ears to truly perceive how you are working within their life. And that the test that you give them is simply a way of increasing their ability and opportunities and blessings ahead of them. Father God, we thank you for your word that makes it so clear that you are in control and you use that control to favor us that every outcome for us would be a favorable one. And that, Father God, that whatever hindrances we face, that your blessing is able to come over them, overcome all of them. And for this, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.